Welcome back. I'm Dr. Mark McCullough with another episode, two episodes from Dante's Inferno, this time Cantos 32 and 33. I'll be reading from the uh, wonderful uh, translation by Mark Musa and afterwards offering some uh, insights uh, into, into the poem. And hopefully these discussion points will help you read the poem as well. Canto 32. If I had words grating and crude enough that really could describe this horrid hole supporting the converging weight of hell, I could squeeze out the juice of my memories to the last drop. But I don't have these words. And so I am reluctant to begin to talk about the bottom of the universe, the way it truly is, is no child's play, no task for tongues that gurgle baby talk. But may those heavenly ladies aid my verse, who aided Amphion to Walden Thebes, that my words may tell exactly what I saw. O misbegotten rabble of all rabble, who crowd this realm, hard even to describe, it were better you have lived as sheep or goats. When we reached a point of darkness in the well, below the giant's feet, farther down the slope, and I was gazing still at the high wall, I heard somebody say, Watch where you step! Be careful that you do not kick the heads of this brotherhood of miserable souls. At that I turned around and saw before me a lake of ice stretching beneath my feet, more like a sheet of glass than frozen water. In the depths of Austria, Austria's wintertime, the Danube never in all its course showed ice so thick, nor did the dawn beneath its frigid sky, as this crossed here. For if Mount Tabernik or Petra Pana would crash upon, down upon it, not even at its edges would a crack creak. The ways the frogs in the season when the harvest will often haunt the dreams of the peasant girl sit croaking with their muzzles out of water. So these frigid, frigid livid shades were stuck in ice, up to where a person's shame appears. <clears throat> their teeth clicked notes like storks' beaks snapping shut, and each one kept his face bowed towards the ice. The mouth bore testimony to the cold, the eyes to sadness welling in the heart. I gazed around a while, and then looked down, and by my feet I saw two figures clasped, so tight that one's hair could have been the other's. Tell me, you two, pressing your chests together, I asked them, who are you? Both stretched their necks, and when they had their faces raised towards me, their eyes, which had before only been, been glazed, dripped tears down to their lips and the cold froze the tears between them, locking the pair more tightly. Wood to wood with iron was never clamped so firm, and the two of them, like billy goats, were butting at each other, mad with anger. Another one, with both ears frozen off and head still bowed over his icy mirror, cried out, What makes you look at so hard at us? If you're interested to know who these two are, the valley where Brezenzio's waters flow belonged to them and to their father, Albert. The same womb bore them both. And if you score all of Cana, you will not turn up one who's more deserving of this frozen aspic. Not him who had his breast and shadow pierced with one thrust of the lance from Arthur's hand. Not Focaccia. Not even this one here, whose head gets in my way and blocks my view known in the world of Sassol Macioni, and if you're Tuscan, you must know who he was. To save me from your asking for more news, 
I was Camerican Depazi, and I awaited Carlin, I await Carlin, whose guilt will make my own seem less. Farther on, I saw a thousand dog-like faces, purple from the cold. That's why I shudder, and always will, when I see a frozen pond. While we were getting closer to the center of the universe, where all weights must converge, and I was shivering in the eternal chill, by fate or chance or willful perhaps, I do not know, but stepping among the heads, my foot kicked hard against one of those faces. Weeping, he screamed, Why are you kicking me? You have not come to take me re revenge on me, have you? Why bother me? And I, My master, please wait here for me. Let me clear up a doubt concerning this one, then I shall be rapid as you wish. My leader stopped, and to that wretch, who still has not let up in his barrage of curses, I said, Who are you insulting other people? And you, who are you who marched through Antonora, kicking other people in their faces? No living man could kick as hard, he answered. I am a living man, was my reply, and it might serve you well if you seek fame for me to put your name down in my notes. And then, he said, that's the last thing I would want. That's not the way to flatter in these lowlands. Stop pestering me like this. Get out of here. At that, I grabbed him by his hair and back and said, you'd better tell me who you are or else I'll not leave one hair on your head. And he to me, go on and strip me bald and pound and stamp my head a thousand times. You'll never hear my name or see my face. I had my fingers twisted in his hair, and already I'd pulled out more than one fistful when he yelped like a cur with eyes shut tight. When someone else yelled, What's the matter, Boca? It's about enough to hear your shivering teeth. Now you bark? What the devil's wrong with you? There's no need now for you to speak, I said, you vicious traitor. Now I know your name, and I'll bring back the shameful truth about you. Go away, he answered. Tell them what you want. But if you do get out of here, be sure you also tell about the blabbermouth who's paying here with the, what the French silver cost him. I saw, you can, you can tell the world, the one from Dura, stuck in with all the sinners keeping cold. And if you should be asked, who else is there? Right by your side is the one from Pacheria, whose head was chopped off by the Florentines. As for Gianna Solidania, I think you find him farther along with Ganelon and Tybalt, who opened up Faenza while it slept. Soon after leaving him, I saw two souls frozen together in a single hole, so that the one head used the other for a cap. As a man with hungry teeth tears, tears into bread, the soul was capping head had sunk his teeth into the other's neck, just below the skull. Tydeus, in his fury, did not did not gnaw the head of Monopolis with more relish than this one chewed that, that head of meat and bones. O oh, you who show with every bestial bite your hatred for the head you are devouring, I said. Tell me your reason, and I promise, if you are justified in your revenge, once I know who you are in this one's sin, I'll repay your confidence in the world above until my tongue dry up before I die. Canto 33 Lifting his mouth from his horrid, horrendous meal, the sinner first wiped off his messy lips in the hair remaining on the chewed-up skull, then spoke. You want me to renew a grief so desperate that just the thought of it, much less the telling, grips my heart with pain. 
But if my words can be the seed to bear the, the fruit of infamy for this betrayer, who feeds my hunger, then I shall speak in tears. I do not know your name, nor do I know how you came down here, but, Florentine, you surely seem to be to hear you speak. First, you should know, I was Count Ugolino, and my neighbor here, the Archbishop. Now I'll tell you why I'm so unneighborly, that I, trusting in him, was put in prison through his evil machinations, where I died. This much I surely do not have to tell you. What you could not have known, however, is the inhuman circumstances of my death. Now listen, then decide if he has wronged me. Through a narrow slit of window high in that mew, which is called the Tower of Hunger after me, and I'll not be the last to know that place, I had watched moon after moon after moon go by, when finally I dreamed the evil dream which ripped away the veil that hid my future. I dreamed of this one here as lord and huntsman, pursuing the wolf and the wolf cubs up the mountain, which blocks the sight of Luca from the Pisans, with skinny bitches, well-trained and obedient. He had out front as leaders of the pack, Chuvalandi with Sismonde and Lefranchi. A short run, and the father with his sons seemed to grow tired, and then I thought I saw a long fang sunk deep into their sides, ripped open. When I awoke before the light of dawn, I heard my children sobbing in their sleep. You see, they too were there, asking for bread. If the thought of what my heart was telling me does not fill you with grief, how cruel you are! If you are not weeping now, do you ever weep? And then they awoke. It was around the time that they usually brought our food to us, but now each one of us was full of dread from dreaming. Then from below I heard them driving nails into the dreadful tower door. With that I stared in silence at my flesh and blood. I did not weep. I turned to stone inside. They wept, and my little Anselmuccio spoke. What is it, father? Why do you look that way? For them, I held my tears back, saying nothing, all of that day, and then all that night until another sun shone on the world. A meager ray of sunlight found its way to the misery of our cell, and I could see myself reflected four times in their faces. I bit my hands in anguish, and my children, who thought that hunger made me bite my hands, were quick to draw me closer to me, saying, Oh, Father, you would make us suffer less if you would feed on us if... You were the one who gave us this sad flesh. You take it from us. I calmed myself to make them less unhappy. That day we sat in silence, and the next day. Oh, pitiless earth, you should have swallowed us. The fourth day came, and it was on that day my gado fell prostrate, prostrate before my feet, crying, Why don't you help me? Why, my father? There he died. Just as you see me here, I saw the other three fall one by one, as the fifth day and the sixth day passed, and I, by then gone blind, groped over their dead bodies. Though they were dead, two days I called their names. Then hunger proved more powerful than grief. He spoke these words. Then... Glaring down in rage, attacked again the wretched skull with his teeth, sharp as a dog's, and as fit for grinding bones. Oh, Pisa, 
Blot of shame upon the people of that fair land where the sound of sea is heard. Since your neighbors hesitate to punish you, let Capraria and Gogona move and join, damming up the river Arno at its mouth, and let Everpisson perish in its flood. For if Count Ugolino was accused of turning traitor, trading in your castles, you have no right to make his children suffer. Their newborn years, O oh, newborn Thebes, made them all innocent. All innocents, Brigata, Eugetone, and the other two soft names my canto sings. We moved ahead to where the frozen water wraps in harsh wrinkles another sinful race, with faces not turned down but looking up. Here the weeping puts an end to weeping, and the grief that finds no outlet from the eyes turned inward to intensify the anguish. For the tears they first wept knotted in a cluster, and like a, a, a visor made for them in crystal, filled all the hollow parts around their eyes. Although the bitter coldness of the dark had driven all sensation from my face, as though it were not tender skin but callous, I thought I felt the air begin to blow, and I... What causes such a wind, my master? I thought no heat could reach into these depths. And he to me. Before long you will be where your own eyes can answer for themselves, where they, where they will see what keeps this wind in motion. And one of the wretches with the frozen cross screamed out at us, Oh, wicked soul, so wicked that you have been assigned the ultimate post. Break off these hard veils covering my eyes, and give relief from the pain that swells my heart, at least until the new tears freeze again. I answered him, If this is what you want, tell me your name, and if I do not help you, may I be forced to drop beneath this ice? He answered then, I am Friar Albergio. I am he who offered fruit from the evil orchard. Here dates are served me for the figs I gave. Oh, then, I said, Are you already dead? And he to me, Just how my body is in the world above, I have no way of knowing. This zone of Ptolemea is very special, for it often happens that a soul fa falls here before the time that Atropos should send it, and that you may more willingly scrape off my cluster of glass tears. Let me tell you, whenever a soul betrays the way I did, a demon takes possession of the body, controlling its maneuvers from then on. For all the years it has to live up there, while the soul falls straight into the cistern here. And the shade in winter quarters just behind me may well have left his body up on earth. But you shall know if you just come from there. He is Ser Braca de Oria, and many years have passed since he first joined us here, icebound. I think you're telling me a lie, I said, for Brock is not dead at all. He eats and drinks, he sleeps, and wears out clothes. The ditch the Malbranch watched above, he said, the ditch of clinging, boiling pitch, has not yet caught the soul of Michael Zanchi, when Braca left a devil in his body to take his place, and so did his close kinsman his accomplice in this act of treachery. But now, at last, give me the hand you promised. Open my eyes. I did not open them. To be mean to him was a generous reward. Oh, all of you Genovese, you men estranged from every good at home with every vice, why can't this world be wiped clean of your race? For in company with Romagna's rankest souls, I found one of your men whose deeds were such that his soul bathes already in Cocytus, 
but his body seems alive and walks among you. So Canty, uh, Canty's uh, 32 and 33 are great companion pieces, just as the we see a number of companions here uh, in the, uh, in the uh, area of hell where traitors are placed. Um, uh, this region is called Cana. Um, it's also called Antonora. Um, and Cotitis is the name of the entire uh, circle, the, the ninth circle, the final uh, circle of Dante's Inferno. And so these two canti together uh, comprise uh, this discussion of betraying and will lead us right into the uh, end, the final canto of Dante, Canto 34, uh, in which uh, Satan is presented. So it's all the theme of betrayal. And, um, and uh, so this is why I'm reading 32 and 33 together uh, with special attention to the story of Ugolino. Now, the story of Ugolino, I think, fits very nicely into the other stories uh, that we've investigated here. Uh, Francesca uh, as one of them, Ulysses is another. And you can add to these stories that are set to um, the sort of challenge Dante and shake him in his, in his, um, in his will. For the whole reason uh, Dante is traveling through hell is for him to correct and perfect his will uh, so that he may be a better man and may reach heaven uh, and, uh, well, first reach purgatory uh, since he is in trouble, since that is the danger uh, from the first canto of the Inferno is that he's not headed for purgatory, but rather it appears that he's headed for damnation. So the purpose of his uh, journey through hell is for Dante to... Um, correct his will and correcting his will um, is poetically dramatized as learning about sin and learning accurately about sin uh, without any deception so the stories that the story that Ugolino sort of addresses or tells Dante is um, from the perspective of the of the will is an attempt to shake Dante's will and how does he do this well I have this, um, this is entirely my own uh, thinking about how the stories in Dante are, um, are, are constructed um, to uh, shake the will of the hearer. But I think Ugolino's shaking of his will is through um, uh, that, that word pity that uh, we've mentioned several times throughout uh, these discussions, that is to get Dante to pity him. And to pity him specifically through uh, what I would like to say is kind of tragedy, the, the idea of tragedy, that Ugolino is going to tell him the story that he doesn't know, the story of the circumstances of his death, and, uh, and dissuade him from, um, from understanding, I think, the nature, the true nature of, of Ugolino's sin, which is not really in the story itself, right? This is a story about his uh, entrapment within the tower and his possible, um, you know, digestion of his own children, his own grandchildren, uh, that is, of course, uh, up for debate, which we'll talk about. Um, but this inhuman circumstances of his death have really nothing to do uh, with uh, his, his own betrayal, uh, the archbishop's betrayal of him and his betrayal of the archbishop. And so um, it, it's sort of a story that's uh, geared to, to make Dante pity him. Um, and I think it's particularly focused on... Uh, this uh, narrative of tragedy. You know, Francesca attempts in Canto V to get Dante to pity her through 
uh, uh, romance through this lie and deception of love. It's just, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a counterfeit uh, version of love that Francesca offers there, and Ulysses in Canto Twenty Six offers Dante a kind of counterfeit to uh, to man's purpose, his goal. Um, this would be, I think, if understood as a genre, as we've understood Francesca's romance and Ugolino's tragedy, sort of understand this as epic. And uh, Ulysses sort of represents uh, not just epic adventure uh, and uh, the world that needs to be transversed, but also a kind of lie uh, about uh, adventure uh, and, I think, also war, uh, sort of martial uh, lie, lies. So Ugolino uh, finishes off this, uh, uh, these stories uh, uh, t- attempting to dissuade Dante from, from his purpose of understanding, understanding sin and therefore correcting and finally perfecting his will uh, through, through the machinations of tragedy. And um, if you've ever seen uh, the famous sculpture of Ugolino, and the children, uh, you'll see Ugolino's face, uh, his eyes widely open. He's sort of biting his his nails, biting his fingers, uh, as if to satiate his 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 growing hunger. Um, it's a it's a pitiful, um, pathetic um, representation of Ugolino, and it is exactly the kind of uh, representation that Ugolino himself would like for Dante to to focus on, not focus on his his crimes. But rather focus uh, on his on his uh, uh, suffering and his circumstances. Of course, the suffering is what Ugolino has has brought upon himself. Just as uh, Christ uh, suffered the passion, uh, which was for the sake of the world and the sins of sinners, and and he died for others. Ugolino uh, did not die for others; he died for himself in many ways. But he wants us to believe that he's a Christ-like figure. And so his story of tragedy is kind of an odd inversion of Christ's own passion. And we get a number of different, um, uh, we get a number of different uh, uh, details in his story uh, about the number of days that he was in, the moons, uh, that he was in the tower, the moons, and then the eating uh, of the flesh of the children, or at least when the children offer up their flesh uh, to the Father is a demonic inversion of of, Christ, of the Eucharistic feast, right? Christ himself offering himself up for, uh, for sinners uh, and offering him, uh, offering to do the will of the Father. So this is all there in Ugolino's, um, Ugolino's speech. Um, and you'll notice also that throughout uh, 32 and 33, and finally through 34, you'll see next time, uh, Dante's unmoved uh, by all of this. Um, what what he's registering, Dante, uh, he's registering a kind of shock uh, to how horrific uh, uh, Cotitus is, and and these and these awful figures who are trapped within the ice. And even at the beginning of thirty two, he's he's uh, you know bracing himself as a poet and saying, you know, uh, in line seven, to talk about the bottom of the universe the way it truly is is no child's play. He says so. So he's uh, Dante, the poet here. Dante, the pilgrim, is really just uh, concentrating on um, the the communication to his readers uh, of how horrific hell is, and is not really dissuaded by the stories that are being told. Um, Francesca is the uh, extreme in a sense, right? He's 
so overcome with Francesca's story in Canto V that he faints. Uh, Ulysses, too, we looked at how um, even though during Ulysses' speech he doesn't uh, react, it's before Ulysses' speech, as the poet is recalling uh, in that uh, being in the um, uh, these kind of this, this area of false counselors where false counselors are are punished he steals himself he he girds his loins as they say um in order to say uh, i uh, in, in, uh, he says there i want to uh, go on the path that is designed for me i don't want to go and get off the path which is exactly what ulysses does right he goes off the path beyond the uh, pillars of hercules so dante there is is girding his loins as if to as if to um, uh, sort of resist this story of adventure, uh, the story of man that is very seductive, uh, especially to a poet, poet, the epic idea. And here with Ugolino, uh, th there's also a kind of tragedy. So Dante is not so much focused on uh, resisting the story of Ugolino. He's been trained and he's very effective and almost expert in his now his questioning of, of, of the damned. Um, and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see this expertise as he um, even travels in 32, where he'll talk about the fame. Uh, uh, he, he will spread the fame of the individual uh, damned. Of course, one of those figures says, well, what the heck does that matter? Uh, I don't care. Uh, and then Dante grabs him by the hair and says, well, I'll just cause you more pain. I think we're supposed to admire Dante's uh, shift from um, you know, flattery to uh, violence, uh, just as he did with um, earlier figures, especially in the in the circle of anger and the circle of violence, where Dante treated uh, upbraided uh, certain characters, uh, and this was um, and and this was to Virgil's delight. Virgil, we don't see a whole lot of his actions here because he's not really necessary. Dante kind of knows what he's doing. Um, so again, he's addressing Dante's addressing himself and the reader almost from an aesthetic perspective. How, how am I going to get this one right? Uh, how can I uh, communicate to you, the reader, how horrific it is? And by doing so as, edu uh, as an education uh, uh, of the reader uh, to avoid uh, hell and uh, pursue uh, a life of virtue. Um, uh, Ugolino's beginning of Ugolino's uh, response to Dante in, in 33 is uh, almost identical in its logic to Francesca in Canto V. He says, You want me to renew a grief so desperate that just the thought of it, must less the telling, grips my heart with pain. Uh, but if my words can be the seed to bear the, the fruit of infamy for this betrayal, betrayer who feeds my hunger, then I shall speak in tears. And so just like Francesca, there's a, um, uh, there's a uh, kind of contemplation of the pain uh, of of recalling one's one's story, um, and of course he's thinking about the story of his of 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 being trapped in the tower, not the story that Dante is really asking for. Um, Francesca has a very similar response to Dante. Now this logic of 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 uh, being in pain uh, when telling uh, a story, uh, the recalling of the story, sort of adding to one's pain. Uh, is set is is represented in Francesca as well. Uh, it's it's difficult to recall happiness, especially when one is in pain. Um, this comes uh, directly from Virgil's work in uh, the Aeneid, from Aeneas himself, who is recalling to Dido uh, the 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 fall of Troy. Uh, and so Dante continues this trope here with Ugolino, 
reminding us of Francesca and the on the sort of the lies of romance there, but also of the sins of incontinence. Um, and what is his motivation here? Well, he tells us what his motivation is subtly, right? He says that if it will continue my revenge upon uh, this betrayer here, uh, sort of these zombie-like gnawing on the back of his head uh, who feeds my hunger, he says, um, I will do it. So we see that uh, the reason the story is being told is uh, uh, not, not for personal fame, but for infamy for the one who has betrayed him and he has betrayed. And so that's his motivation. Uh, that we can see as the reason why he's there. Now, this canto could have ended here, right? Uh, this canto could have ended, in a sense, uh, right here, because we don't, uh, it's nice to tell you, uh, you know, I suppose, uh, not nice, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good story to tell you about Count Ugolino and his betrayal and his, tra and his capture and his, his um, being placed in the, uh, in, the, in the tower and all that. Uh, but really, it's not to the it's it's not to the sort of the specific purpose uh, uh, of describing uh, the uh, describing the the consequences of this particular sin. Um, but he does in any way, and he says, you know, I'll tell you um, all about it. And of course, Dante knows uh, a, a little bit about it because he's a contemporary. Um, he even says this uh, in. Uh, uh, Ugolino says this in 16, uh, put, put in, that he was put in prison where he died, and, and Dante, of course, knows this. He knows that he's placed in prison because of this. Um, and uh, I'll tell you why I'm so unneighborly, he says, too, which is a kind of a joke. But remember, being unneighborly, uh, which is lacking in the Greek, uh, the Greek understanding of xenia, which is the word for uh, hospitality, Greek hospitality, is one of the greatest sins of the of the ancient world. We, in fact, it's the it's um, it's really the the seed of the uh, the war in Troy of the Trojan War, where um, uh, Helen of Troy is whisked off by Paris from from Menelaus's home. He's a bad neighbor. He's a bad guest, um, and he betrays his um, his host. So, being neighborly, being a good host. Um, is important not only to, of course, the, the Christian world, but also, uh, and even perhaps more importantly or more significantly, to the to the Greek world. And so, the those who are here in uh, Cotitis are being punished for uh, being unneighborly. So, even though this is kind of a joke, I don't know what the translation is in your uh, what you've been reading, but but Musa has it has the word here unneighborly. So. Ugolino is going to tell him about this story, uh, not of the, his unneighborly uh, 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 issue, but rather of his own of his own suffering. 